street gospel, light of the temple, short swing killer live from the ghetto, the hood messenger, let them know hell's close, black burial, the devil in a black cloak, street gospel, light of the temple, short swing killer live from the ghetto, the hood messenger, let them know hell's close, black burial, the devil in a black cloak. Yo, what is up? Welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Dave One. And this is bonus episode number eight. So we keep getting these bonus episodes, and uh, I really enjoy the bonus episodes. They've been solid. Uh, we've had a lot of great guests. If you cut our last couple of guests, bonus episode number seven was with uh, Spain Nunez, famous graffiti writer out of New York, uh, writes Jesus Saves just about everywhere. Uh, good friend of mine, got to meet him uh Met him in New York a couple times, too, so that was great. And the last one before that was uh, Bobby Luisi, mob guy, uh, bonus episode number six. Uh, definitely a good one to take a listen to. So if you're out there, check it out. But, you know, first of all, I got to give a couple shout-outs to uh, my sponsors out there. First sponsor out there, uh, man, they got my heart. Definitely got my heart. They love people. Uh, they're about family. They're about community. If you're in the Orange County, California area, I encourage you to visit Elevate Ministries. Uh, they got two campuses, one in like the Woodier, Fullerton area, and then their main campus where I visit and go all the time uh, is in Orange, California, right on 1200 West Alvarez Street. So if you're in the area, you want a good church to find for yourself, maybe you have kids, uh, youth, uh, whatever you may have. Visit Elevate Ministries. Uh, they're on the web at www.elevateministries.com. They have services on Sunday. They have services on Wednesday. Uh, check them out. And then secondly, there's another great ministry I love. You know, um, they've been sponsoring the podcast from the beginning. Uh, and I back them because this is a uh, organization that's ran by my brother-in-law, attorney Art Pena. He runs this. Uh, he's the director and this organization is called Hope and Promises. Um, basically, they go out. It's a nonprofit. The simple goal of providing food, water, and supplies to those in need through local outreaches and local food pantry. Uh, and that's internationally. They have done stuff uh, locally in the neighborhood. They have done stuff in El Salvador, in Mexico. Um, just getting out food, uh, basic necessities, uh, medical supplies, all kinds of stuff to... Uh, those in need. So check them out, Hope and Promises, and they're on the net at www.hopeandpromises.com. But you know, today we got to get down to the business. Um, I was very happy to make this happen. Uh, was it, she actually made it happen. And uh, so I'm very excited. So, you know, I got to play a little bit of music for each one of my guests that I introduce. So I thought since she grew up in uh, LA in the 80s, I get kind of a banger from the 80s. So I want to introduce, let me put that track on. Stop, stop. I know she liked this track right here. This is like, this is like rolling in LA in the 80s. Nissan truck, maybe a 83 Cutlass Regal. But this woman, she is a evangelist. She is an advocate for her neighborhood, South Central. Uh, she's a, she's an ex-con. She's known as the Queen Pin, and we'll get a little bit into that. She's a mother, 
a wife, uh, an overcomer, um, a survivor, and I'm very happy to have her this morning. So we please welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast, Jamaica Thompson Harrison. How you doing, Miss Thompson? <laughs> appreciate you coming on i mean that was um we i was watching uh a special and uh i was i was just on tv i was flipping the channels one day and i see this woman and, and it caught my eye and i was like who's this woman and i was just like she looks hard and then i started watching the show and i was like jameika thompson and and i was like I've never heard of her. And so I, I watched me, me and my wife sat there and we watched it. I think it was like any, uh, drug Lords or something like that. And so, uh, I was very happy to find out towards the end, um, that you had given your life to the Lord. You, uh, turned a new leaf over. Um, and so I was just like, I wonder if she's on the gram. So I, I looked you up on the gram and I was like, I told my wife right away. I go, she's on the gram. And I go, and she saved. I go, look at her. I want to get her on the show. And, and my wife, she's like, you can get her. You can get her. And she said that about everybody. We've had like a lot of people that a lot of people didn't think I can, I can get. And it's not me. You know, the Lord sends on my way. I believe the Lord probably directed me to watch that channel. And so I looked, I looked you up and then we started talking and, and, and we made it happen. But uh, I appreciate you coming out. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. So. Your life began in South Central. Um, yeah. 70s? The 80s. 80s? Okay. 70s, 80s. I'm I'm like yes. se- I'm like yes. I'm like right. I'm like 74. I was born Southeast LA, so you're a little bit uh, uh a little bit maybe a little bit north of northwest of of me. But uh what was life like growing up uh in that area at that time? Well, um, like you said, like in the seventies, I was running track for Hamilton high school. And so, um, and that was like, um, 78, 79. Cause I graduated in 80. Nice. Nice. So, um, yeah. Um, so I met a young man, you know, um, early on when I was running track, they used to always come and watch me run track and they would gamble on me. But um, if I go back a little bit further, uh, my parents divorced at a very early age. And um, my mother was a probation officer. And my father was a minister and a construction worker. Okay, okay. So I thought life was good until the day that my mom got evicted after, you know, she was a single mom raising uh, four kids by herself. And we did everything. You know, we went to Magic Mountain. We went to SeaWorld. We went to Disneyland. You know, the water parks. We did everything. You know, my mother, um, she did the best that she could, you know, in in those days. And so um, my dream was to be uh, a track star. My my idol was Wilma Rudolph. You know, I wanted to be just like her. So um, I thought life was good until the day we got evicted. And that's when things turned in my life. So, I mean, do you think like, because I always say this, 
a lot of times, you know, uh, when the home's breaking up, like a, a, a good, it's never a guarantee, right? A mother and father could be great and their kid could turn out awful. But I think, you know, in, in, in environments such as, you know, L.A., I grew up in L.A., you have a mother and father in the home. Your chances of, of, of doing well, of, of being successful is, is a lot more greater. You know, I think uh, having that together. Do you think that your father and the divorce kind of steered you in the wrong direction or, or maybe hard in your heart? Let's say that as a kid. Well, I don't not for me, because even though my parents divorced, me and my father had a great relationship. Oh, still in your life, though. So okay. I would go. Yeah, I would go to his house on the weekends, you know, and my mother would never say anything bad about my dad. If he was doing something or he wasn't doing anything, she never, you know, talked bad about him. So that's good. that's good because uh, a lot of times you get even when when parents it sometimes it doesn't work out they get divorced and it's just like you never see your father you never see your mother or like you said the mother's just like bad talking the father so that's having the father stay in your life was probably huge. Yeah, because even with him coming over to the house. You know, he would he wouldn't just pull up. He would come in and speak to my mother. Oh, nice. you know, yeah. But, you know, as an adult now, you know, my mother would tell me things that she wasn't happy with. But as a child, she didn't. Um, I thank God that she didn't. Bash right. Him. Every every <laughs> every good parent tries to protect their child. You know, that sometimes my mom will say something and, uh, about my father, which he was a good dad, but he passed away about 20 years ago. And um you know, I'll kind of, I'll kind of just like, really? I was like, I never knew that about my dad. It might not be nothing bad, but it'd be something that I, I didn't know. Or I didn't expect. And, uh, and she'll say, yeah, your dad was like that. Or he was, a, he was a difficult man. My mom told me that one time and I was like, really? Like, you know, and I'm grown, you know? So I was just like yeah. trying to process that. Like, oh wow. So things you don't know, but it's kind of funny when you find out later as an adult. Yes. So you, well, we have our, when well, we have our own family and children, I know, right? We, it, it's a whole <laughs> different story when you have your own kids. I mean, trust me, it's, yeah. it's, it's bad. I know you have yeah. your son and I got my two. It's just like, man. But, um, so you, I know you went to live with your grandma in, in the South for a little bit. Yes. When, when my mother, when we got evicted and we stayed in a motel for a few months, I told my mother, I had never met my mother's parents. So I said, well, where are your parents? Because I'm just in the third grade at that time. And so um, she said they were in Mississippi. And I said, well, I'm going to go to Mississippi. So when I got out of the third grade that summer, before I went to the fourth grade, that summer I went to Mississippi to visit my grandparents. And uh, my my grandmother, um, you know, and my grandfather lived together. And they had like a big house and my, you know, my niece, my uncles and uh, aunties lived there and they were like my age. <laughs> and so my other, <laughs> so my it other sounds like every Mexican family I know, like, but like my uncle is like only like three years older than me. And we used to play all the time. And my other uncle is like maybe like four. I mean, it was, it's kind of funny. <laughs> and my, my uncle and my cousin, we're all the same age. That's funny. That's uh yeah 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 that's we're like we were like one a month apart in the same year so <laughs> and then my brother under me his his uncle and cousin he at the same age and then my brother older me the same thing that's funny so my grandparents my mother my auntie they all had kids the same year three times man so we grew up 
So all the grandkids would go to my grandmother's house, but that was the first time that me and my brother had went to my grandmother's house, but all the other grandkids were going. And we liked it because we were around. It was different from L.A., totally different. Oh, yeah, it had to be a culture shock. I mean, especially at that time, you go you go from from neighborhood to, uh, I would assume, Mississippi is, is open. I mean, it's just a it's different... Open. People are nicer, I would assume. <laughs> yes, very nice. Because like in L.A., even though I was young, you know, I, you know, we get to hang out at night and play, you know, in the streets. You know, when the street lights off, you got to go in the house. But like in Mississippi, you know, you hang out with your family and you don't, you know, uh, you did so many things different than we did in California. Right. Totally different. Like, I want to go to my friend's house in Mississippi and my grandmother's like, absolutely not. <laughs> so, so you do you think that was uh how, how long did you stay in mississippi well i i stayed there um like the the fourth grade the fifth sixth seventh and then i came back to california and then i went back and then i came back in the ninth grade and then i did the 10th 11th and 12th in la okay okay so you had a so good back and forth all yeah, my life. yeah uh, at that time which where did you like more? Was there, are there, what did you like both? I liked Mississippi better. Okay. Because when I, when I went to Mississippi, I, I really enjoyed, you know, my being just around family all the time. Right. You know, and my, my grandmother didn't work. So she was always home. And so my mother worked all the time. So when I came home from school, my mother wasn't there. You know, when I came home from school in Mississippi, you know, you got dinner, you get, do your homework, you got dinner. It was very strict and structured. Right, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, there ain't nothing like going to grandma's house, and then you, you know, oh. you you feel the love. I'm sure, even though they're strict, sometimes you feel the love. I definitely, I would assume grandma could cook. I mean, most grandmas could get down in the kitchen. I mean, you're eating good. I mean, your family's around. It's 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 a totally different culture. I think that's the problem with a lot of kids these days. Uh, they only see their neighborhood. You know, they never see beyond like four blocks. You know, I, I remember my parents telling me all the time, and I think I shared this on the podcast before, where they said, you know, they they didn't cross, you know, the tracks of Alameda to come uh, anywhere past that. They still within their block. They didn't go to like like this place to eat. They didn't sit down at a restaurant to eat. They were just, you know, in their neighborhood and on their block, and that's it. And once in a while, they'd venture out, but. I think that's a problem with a lot of kids these days. They don't see beyond, like they, they don't see beyond the world out there. And even even with, in a, Mississippi, even with in a phone, I never went to a restaurant ever. Yeah, growing up, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I th- I remember even for us and, and my dad, he he worked for the gas company. My mom was a stay at home mom, but I remember my sister. I think when she turned like eleven, she she was younger than me by two years. I think when she turned 11 or 12, they asked her, what do you want? And she goes, I want to go to a restaurant, just us. And my parents were like, and we realized that we never, like, we've been to a restaurant, but it was like maybe me and my dad or, you know, or with, you know, another family member. So it wasn't like foreign, but my sister was like, I want to go to a restaurant. And it was, you know, it was a trip. Now my kids, that's all they do is go to restaurants. I mean, you know, their whole life. I'm like, man. That's what they 
that's what they know today. Yeah, spoiled, <laughs> spoiled, man, spoiled. They're adults now. They they still live here though. You know, can you get me a coffee? You know, I get them a coffee. But so you come back to LA in the in the I would say the uh, formidable years, right? Yes. And of of high school, Hamilton High, and uh, and you're running track. And uh, what happens? So I would run track. And so a lot of um, guys would come to the track meet and gamble on the races. So, you know, this particular guy um, used to always gamble on me. And then uh, one day I actually met him, but he used to always come on our block because um, the same guys who come to Hamilton would also come on the block. And, you know, the guys would gamble on the block and everything. But I would never go out and hang with them, even though one of my brothers was out there with them. And um, I would just watch from the top of the stairs what they were doing. So this particular day, I was walking home after my track meet. And one of the guys that was gambling on me, his name was Dad. And he was like, you know, you, you want me to give you a ride home? Me and my girlfriend was walking home. And I was like, yeah, you know, you know what you think, you know, because Things wasn't as bad then as they are now. But getting in the car with somebody you don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, we knew him from the neighborhood, but we didn't know him. Right. You know. So um, that particular day, he gave us a ride home. And he said, you know, I want some money off of you. And I was like, you did? And he's like, yeah. And so then, you know, he said, well, you know, I want to take you, you know, I want to take you to get something to eat. We ended up going to the mall. And, you know, he took me on a shopping spree. And. I'm like, okay, you know, my eyes are open, but, you know, I'm not thinking, you know, I know he's doing something, but I'm thinking it's gambling at that time. And later on, I find out he's selling marijuana. So, uh, it looks like Daft pulled the old, uh, the old game on you, you know, older guy comes by the high school with a nice ride. It takes you shopping. He was was in a 63 Impala Super Sport convertible. Okay, a 63 Impala just by itself, but a super sport, I mean, that, that's, that's taking it to the next level right there. I mean, yeah. especially in those types. I mean, that's just like, yeah, you you know uh, dude is Bali. Maybe the uh, the Mississippi uh, nativity is, is kind of like, uh, oh, maybe he's a good dude. <laughs> but uh, now you are you still running track? And how good were you? Well, I was really good. Um, I made it to a state. I would uh, place first and state. Uh, we would go. The state track meets in them days was in Berkeley, California. So I have all of those books where I have all of where I broke records and stuff. Wow. I used to do the 50-yard dash, the 100-yard dash. And back then, the 100-yard dash, my best time was a 10-9. Wow. And I was in the newspaper. I have proof of that. And now I'm seeing these girls that's running similar to that. Right. I'm like, wow, I was really fast. I didn't know how fast I really was. But um, I was. I wanted to be in the Olympics, the 1984 Olympics. That was my dream. In L.A., yeah. In L.A. I and mean, so, what, go on. I mean, that's, that's a great time. If you think the girls nowadays run that time, these girls are like, getting like specialized coaching, specialized equipment, all this stuff. I mean, they didn't have what they had back they then. I mean, this was just we true didn't speed. Have none of that. Yeah, this is just true yeah. speed. Yeah, I was like my own trainer, you know. Um in my mind, I wrote I read Wilma Rudolph book like 
10 times. Wow. I loved her. I just, I wanted to go to Tennessee state. I wanted to be like her. <laughs> and so my coach was, you know, toward my graduation, she was reaching out to Tennessee state to come and see me and everything. And so I ended up going to um, East LA and LACC. So I ran for East LA for about a year until I got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess who the father is. Daph. <laughs> Daph is the father. <laughs> So at that time, was your hopes and dreams kind of crushed or were you excited, you know, kind of like, hey, I'm going to start a family, you know, this is something good or were you kind of torn? Well, I I was kind of torn because in high school, when me and Daph ended up hooking up and becoming boyfriend and girlfriend, I started selling marijuana at school. Okay. So a lot of my friends smoked weed at that time. I just didn't smoke it. So they would buy from me because I was very popular. And I just, you know, Daph kind of, Daph was five years older than me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't even really trip on age or anything because my mother was in the Air Force and she traveled all the time. So I kind of grew up mature when I came back to L.A. Are you the oldest? And so I was. I'm in the middle. I have I have two brothers okay. under me and two brothers older me, and okay. I'm in the middle. Oh, but you're the only female, so you're you kind of take the mo- motherly role to to these guys. Yeah, I play the motherly role. Sure. So when my mother would travel all the time, I would take care of everything at home and cook and everything. Because my grandmother in Mississippi, in the seventh grade, she taught us how to cook because we had to take home economic, and that was a requirement. Yeah. So I knew how to cook very early. Yeah, all, all these women nowadays, they, they don't take that class. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a requirement. I, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So you get pregnant, and um, but, but you were a track star selling weed. So I, I would assume you were kind of popular. And this is the thing that, that, that trips me out, because in the neighborhood, if you are a sports athlete, particularly a star athlete, nobody really bothers you, Right. And they kind of just, hey, leave, leave that leave that person alone, leave that girl alone, or leave that guy alone. He's a hooper, whatever it may be. Uh, I'm sure you got a lot of that. But um, but but on the other side of that, those neighborhood guys know who you are too, right? Yes. So you got yes. like some inf- infamy on both sides a little bit. Right, because I had brothers, so my brothers were very protective of me. So they wouldn't let nobody mess with me anyway, you know. And then I would fight myself. So, because I seen fighting in my family. So, like, if somebody in Mississippi, if somebody jumped on one of my cousins, my grandmother taught us, you don't let nobody jump on your cousin, you jump on them. So, sometimes it'll be five people on one person in Mississippi. Then when I'm in California, if my mother got into it with somebody and had a fight, I, you know, my mother, my brother would fight the guy and they want me to fight the girl. And I'm like, this is crazy. (laughs) Getting jumped by the family. All right. So I started fighting at a very early age. I was, when I was in the sixth grade, I went to this school called Marvin Elementary on Marvin in Los Angeles. And so I used to have the kids to pay me 50 cents for protection. I don't know where that came from. So as an adult now, that same girl that used to pay me, I seen her. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She told me, thank you for always looking out for me. And she's, of course, seen me on Netflix, Drug Lords and American <laughs> Gangster. And 
BET Plus, Trap Queens. So she's like, wow, you would have never known back then as a young girl. Um, it was a beast that was created in me that I had no knowledge of. Right. And now as an evangelist and minister, God showed me things that he was preparing me for this day. Right. So, you know, um, it's a verse in the Bible where um, what the devil meant for evil, God turned it into good for my life. Right. To help save other people's lives. So what I went through, it wasn't for me. It was for somebody else. Yeah. So that's why I have a hard. um, Yes, I went to prison. And but in prison, God softened my heart and I was able to realize who I was. So those years I sold drugs for 12 years. Wow. And then I ended up doing 12 years. Mm. I was I, I thought the, the 12 meant something to you because I know, I, I, I know you, you, you used it in your in your email. And I seen it somewhere else and I go 12 years. It's got or 12. The number 12 has got to do something. Yeah, 12 is God's government number. It's a very special number um, in the Bible because it was 12 tribes of Judah. Sure. Yeah. 12 disciples. disciples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you're, and I go you on it. and on with 12. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's a number that God used. And so I didn't, you know, one day I was in church and the preacher was preaching it. And then it just came to me. You sold drugs for 12 years. Now I was sentenced to 15 years, but God let me out in 12 years. Wow. So my life is totally divine and it's a blessing just to be alive, to help give back to the community. And my heart desire is because I did time in jail is I write to women that's incarcerated. Right. So immediately when I was in jail, all I did was minister. So nobody really knew me in jail. Nobody knew what I was in jail for because when people would say, well, you know, how much time do you have? And I'm just looking at them and the whole time in my mind, I'm like, you don't even know. <laughs> you can't even help me. Right. So when they would say, how much time do you have? I say, do you know Jesus? Because God told me that I had a choice. I'm going to either serve him or I'm going to live for the world. Mm. And I said, God, if you get me out of this mess, I serve you to the day I die. I made a promise and I wrote it down in my journal. I started journaling in the county jail. And I said, God, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. And I was like, God, who's going to take care of my son? Right. And and I was because I was in because I wouldn't cooperate and snitch or tell on nobody. They put me in isolation. I was in isolation for 18 months. How did how did you uh, how, how did you get okay? So you started selling drugs, became a mother, and then you got a little bit deeper into selling drugs. Correct? How was it out of necessity yes. to provide for your son? Well, when I was selling the weed, and then someone turned me on to you know cocaine at that time. And me and dad started selling cocaine together. And within months, our life just changed. Because that's a that's a whole nother level. I mean, whole nother level. Right. Especially in those <laughs> days, because weed was like recreation, really recreational. Uh, uh, let's party. Let, and it was casual. 
yes. but when you when you went to cocaine, that's like that's a huge that was a huge jump in the eighties. A whole nother level. And 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 so we said if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it the right way. So we actually uh, ended up having like a couple of rock houses. And, you know, my husband bought me a house in Encino. I moved to Encino. It was like a job to go in and, you know, um, drop off the drugs, pick up the money. You know, you do your rounds, you know. And so, um, but by the time I had the baby, you know, when I was pregnant, all I would do is just pick up money. Because now we really, uh, you know, have an empire going. But at that time, you don't know what it is. It's like you're hood rich. And you don't know, you just don't know, you know, like the things that um, God is teaching me now, I would have known to do better then. Right. Right. Did you have, did you have any sense of what you were doing? Like it was wrong. Maybe, maybe, you know, like things come to your mind, like this is getting crazy. I mean, cause you were like a pioneer in LA for the drug scene as far as, you know, that was, that was new. I mean, we didn't we didn't really have that here. I mean, they had it in Miami, but here in L.A., I mean, you might have had, you know, Freeway Ricky, you know, but it was really a, a, a newer culture once that cocaine hit and, and, and then it turned into the crack and all that stuff. I mean, did you know, like, this is all bad. This is going in the in the wrong direction, or did you just keep going? Well, the thing about it is I didn't realize that after Daft got killed, and then I go into isolation. My workers and his workers were like, hey, we need you to uh, give us supplies because we were their connections. Okay. So I had to jump back in the game because we had families to take care of. Because the day that death got killed, I had an instinct that something wasn't right. And I said to him, I said, let's just move to Texas. And he said, we'll talk about it when I get back. And it was on a Sunday. And I was like, you never leave on a Sunday. Why are you leaving? It was just a different day. So we kind of like had words at each other. And so he said, I'm leaving anyway. He left. He called me about four hours later. And he told me that he loved me. And he said, I won. I won big. And I'm like, okay, you know. And I say, okay, well, I'll see you when you get home. A couple of, about an hour later, he was shot. Like right after that phone call, mm. an hour later, he was killed at the car wash. Wow. Did you, did you guys have enemies? Was it part of the drug thing or was it just a, a, a fluke? What, what, what did, did you ever find yeah. out? Well, the thing about it is when... In that era, Daft was like one of the biggest drug dealers in L.A. So a lot of people undercoverly was jealous of him. Mm. And, and he didn't know it because Daft was a, a, a kind-hearted person. He was sweet. He was loving. He was giving. You know, he felt free. But it was people that was jealous of him that he didn't really think that they were jealous of him because it's the people that's closest to you. It, it always is. I mean, we saw that a couple of years ago with, with, with Nipsey. Here was a guy. He didn't always do the right thing, kind of straightened his life out, was trying to help the, help those, everybody around him. And then he gets killed by somebody that actually knew him, you know? I, and that's when Nipsey 
my husband knew Nipsey very well. Wow. So when I came home from jail, my husband introduced me to Nipsey. And so when Nipsey got killed, all I can do is just lay in the bed and cry because it was too close to home for me. Yeah. That was the first time it was really close to home when you know that somebody close to him killed him. Right. So I can all I can do is cry. My heart just went out. It was, it, was, it, it, it was a tragic, uh, senseless murder. Um, yeah. I, I knew of Nipsey. I had a I had one really good friend that used to always listen to him, and, and I always tell him like you listen to Nipsey like since the beginning, and he did yeah. so, a little bit of uh, artwork for him. And then uh, after he passed, I was I was, I was sad because um, yeah. you know we watched the funeral, and it was like <laughs> the procession was like no other in L.A. Like yeah, I've never crazy. that yeah. was crazy. Yeah, that was the the police were like just go do your thing. Yeah. We give you yeah. like four hours to cruise through the whole whole L.A. and and like un, unheard of, but, um, yeah, when and he, get this. What's that? when my husband got killed, his mm-hmm. funeral was the same way. Wow. Wow. So it, it, it just, just seeing him get killed it just brought up old memories for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a sad thing when, you know, yeah. it's the, the closest people are the ones that hate you the most. I, I, I mean, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of sad, you know, but, um, so, so Daph gets killed, and you go into isolation. You, I, I mean, I, that's just the love of your life. I mean, your 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 son's father, and you come back out of out of that for survival and to help the families that you guys were involved with, business wise, drug business wise. Correct. Correct. So that's why I felt, you know, once I was selling drugs. I thought I was going to get out of it when Daph got killed, but I felt led to come back in because it was families that need to be fed. And I was, I didn't know at that time until I got arrested that I was one of the biggest drug dealers in LA and one of the only women because, you know, I was out um, with, you know, I could, I could like a lot of drug dealers didn't talk to other people. But if you was a big drug dealer, you can talk to the other big drug drug dealer and you know we identify in the in the street, in the game, you know. Right. So I can go up and talk to Free Ray Rick. I can go up and talk to Harry O. I can go up and talk to any other drug dealer that was big, you know, in in, in LA at that time, you know. And so um a lot of women can do that. They'd be like, uh uh-uh, uh, you know. But I was a woman operating in a man's world. Which you probably were used to with four brothers. <laughs> Correct. Correct. I mean, you had to be. Because even my bo- brothers would come to me, you know, like one of my brothers um, actually worked for dad. And then um, one of my brothers said, you know, I want to make some money. And I was like, you, it ain't cut out for you. Right. And he was like, well, everybody got money. I want to make money. And I was like, okay. So I, I think I gave him a, um, uh, uh, not even a half a key. And so a week later, I said, where's my money? He was like, I gave it to my friend to sell it. And I'm like, see, that's <laughs> You, you ain't built for this. They're hired at the at RTD. You better go fill out an application. I said, I said just get a job, and um, I take care of you, and I buy you a car. And that was me and me and that brother. We were real close, but uh, he tried it one time. It didn't work for him. Yeah, right. And I and now that I'm thinking, you know, as we're having this conversation, 
I'm like, wow, you know, like me, I just had the heart because it was one time when I started, um, when my mother stayed on 12th Avenue Venice, you know, I would get on the corner in my Fila outfit and I was slinging on the corner. Man. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I just can't believe the things that I did. You know, like to this day, my husband champ, he's like, Jamaica, you're just so different. You know, God, when he changed your life and, and you really are delivered, everything like is new. Right, right. So I'm kind of like a hip square to me now. <laughs> You know what? I was thinking about that the other day when when I was just like going over your story in my head, and and I was like, I go, I go. This woman seems like a like a really nice woman. Like you see her in the store, she'll say hello. You say hello. You might you might say, but I I was thinking about this. If somebody was to like, you know, some little youngster or something, just like say something smart, I like or be rude to you. Do you ever say in your head like you just don't know? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, that, yeah. that has to be the hardest thing. Like, you're just like, thankfully, thank God I'm saved. Yeah. I love God. You, you better be thankful that I'm saved, that I love God, because it'll be on right now. Because when I was in prison, um, um, this one girl always tried to test me. And I'm like saying, you really don't know who I am. Right. Do not wake the beast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see that because you, you see really nice. You probably carry the Bible in prison, sharing God's love. And then, uh, yeah, they want to come test And even at church, like me and my husband, we were uh, armor bearers. And anything that go on in the church, they send me and my husband. <laughs> oh, you, you're the muscle at church. Yeah. I, We're the muscle at church. That was the time when and, I was the muscle at church. Sometimes it's guys. And my husband say, oh, baby, go handle that. That's small way. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I said, Champ, I'm a girl. That's a guy. Right. Champ's over there said, you say, lay, lay hands on that, that that guy right there. You're ready laying these hands. You know, yeah. like, no, but, not those hands. But for some reason, God puts us in positions where we don't even have to, you know, like, it's like the armor of God protects us. Right. So, they, you know, it's like God makes it easy, you know, when we're doing anything on this, in this today. Right. You know, like if somebody is acting up and I mean, violently crazy acting up, it's like when we approach them, it's like the anointing just takes over. Right. I, I, I agree with that. I think when you when you know what you can do, a lot of fighters say this, you know, you would think like a fighter, you know, he would just jump in on anything. There's something. And even my son, when we were teaching him how to fight, we used to always say, hey, man, you learn how to fight so you don't have to fight. It's kind of yeah. like the coward he has to prove himself. But if you know what you can do, it's easier for you to say, it's cool. Let me walk away from this, uh, yes. you know, and, and let me head out. And you don't have no, you just kind of laugh it off. But it's the yeah. coward that has yeah. his pride gets built up and he has to throw a punch or do something stupid. But I, I always right. say that. But, I mean, I like what you said, too. Like, the Lord uses the things in your life. As as a as a young girl, you know you you were a, a leader already. You know sticking up for people already already leading in your family, uh, and, and even through the, through the through your drug reign as the queen pin. Just in case everybody out there don't know, this is the queen pin of the drug game. Well, used to be. Let's say that. Used to be. Yes, and yeah, uh, the queen of the Lord. Now. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think. Through everything you've went through, even even with uh, a death, death, uh, death, you know, um, 
the Lord uses what's what, like you said, the the negative for His good. And at times we don't understand that, and we don't uh, we don't know why it's happening. And sometimes we sometimes we don't know down here. Eventually, when we get there, we can ask Him, and we'll find out. Um, yeah. But you got finally got busted after selling drugs for 12 years and 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 you go to jail um what happened leading up to that well um because you were living large right i mean you had you had everything when um as i was a single parent raising my son and um running um i took my drug money and opened a hair company so i was the first black hair distributor in the world so I went to Italy, uh, like when I was 23 or four, something like that. And I um, learned the hair game, came back, opened an office, started selling hair. So I wanted to get out of the game then. Right. So I'm telling um, my workers, you know, I'm getting out, you know, you guys can, you know, take over the business. I'm done because even though I was making good money doing drug money, my hair empire, I'm making like 70000 a month, legitimate money. Right. So now the drug dealer lady is looking like a businesswoman, which is what I always wanted to be, a businesswoman. A boss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so life is really, really good. And then I was dating this guy that I used to distribute cocaine to, and we broke up because he started using the product. So um, when I broke up with him, I had nothing to do with him at all. One year later, he got busted and was looking at 25 to life with Dominicans out of Chicago. Had nothing to do with me. In exchange for his freedom, he turned me over mm. because the the, um, the FBI had looked at me several times, but wouldn't nobody corroborate? Wouldn't nobody tell on me out of loyalty? Even when I was in prison, it was when it was one particular girl in there. The feds went to her. She had a 16 year sentence. They said, if you cooperate against her, we'll let you free. She wouldn't. Wow. And when I met her, finally, I was able to see her in the prison. And because they wouldn't let me be where she the, the government put a separate tease on her. So and when I did finally meet, see her, she told me what the feds did. And she said, you a mother. I couldn't tell on you, but she didn't tell on her case. And she said she just had to ride it out, you know. So the guy, he turned over, he got busted with drugs, not my drugs, his drugs, the Dominican drugs. Wow. And he told on everybody, including his family. So um, that's how I ended up. I went to trial. What what did he get? He did about two and a half years. (sighs) Oof, man. From 25 to life to two and a half years. But he told on his brother, his niece, his twin nieces, his best friends. So at least five of his best friends did over 10 years. Wow. That that ran and worked for him in Alton, Illinois. Okay. I was the only one in California on the case. Everybody else was in Illinois. But the feds wanted you so bad. They were just, they're probably asking everybody. Everybody yeah, he's anybody. the only one that told on me, him and his family. You know, I, I, I trip out on this because um, it snitching is huge, especially nowadays. Yes, I, I, I mean it's it's uh, you can't trust anybody because when it, 
a lot of that's because of the the RICO laws. Uh, a lot of that's because the feds make deals. I mean, they make deals with murderers. You can murder 19 people, but if they're after this guy, they'll let that guy go free for this guy. The feds tried to make a deal with me, Dave. How, how come you didn't snitch? And, and, because it just wasn't in me. Okay. Because nobody put a gun in my head. Nobody made me sell drugs. So why would I tell on another family to bring them in jail? He should have rolled that out. Right. That was on him. I didn't put a gun in his head and tell him to sell drugs for me a year uh, prior. He did. He was begging me to give him drugs. Wow. Then you get on the stage and you turn a rat. Yeah. But the, but, but through it all, because of him, he was looking at life. I got eternal life. Ooh. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm very thankful to God. I, I think um, I think that's huge. You know, I, I was wondering with your case, you know, and 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 I and I saw on the show that you know, twelve to fifteen years and that you did, and I was wondering. I was like, man, she got out. You know, I wonder if she ever told. And then I saw another one of your interviews, and you said, I I never snitched, and there was nobody that can say that Jamaica snitched on them. I mean, you did yeah. your time if uh, you, you were a real gangster. I mean, in, 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 in all sense of, you know, from, from the drug game to the, to the violence to the money to prison to not snitching. I mean, that is a, um, yeah. the, the epitome of being a gangster. And no disrespect for a woman, that's even, that's even, that's even greater. You know, you don't really hear that much out there. I think uh, so. So you get busted. You you do the twelve years. I heard that the fet, you were on the run for a little bit, right? When you knew I they were gonna, after you. Hold on one second. Let me get a drink of water. Okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> I didn't. I, I was so busy trying to set everything up. I didn't bring my water by me. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what was the question again? So you were on the run for a couple years before you went to prison, correct? Yes. 18, 18, two years. Two years on the run. Uh, yes. I, it's kind of ironic that the track stars on the run. yes what 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 were were you where were you running to or where does a person that's wanted by the feds hide i went to florida i went to alabama and this is where i felt safe at right right and was that hard because you had a son i i would assume he's he's a toddler now, right? A little, maybe, maybe three, four years old. And or how old was he at that time when you're on the run? He was, he was um, in the sixth grade when I went on the run. Oh, so to to, to leave your son, it had to be tough. <laughs> yes, because I would sneak in and see him at night um, when I would come in town. Wow! And how did they finally catch you? I went to my son's sixth grade graduation. Oh. And so the teacher, my son had got in trouble at school 
in one of the days that I snuck in, the teacher came and um and um she remembered the feds had came and was looking for me and she remembered that. Wow. Wow. And so she called the feds and told them that I probably come. Wow. And I'm finding all this out later, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, teacher. Yes. Uh, so they, so they, she they, did, she did the right thing. <laughs> I guess she could have let you, she could have let you enjoy the graduation. You know, I mean, she could have just, I mean, eventually you knew you would get caught though. Right. I mean, you, you, you couldn't, you can't run forever. I mean, you know, you get, you get caught, you can't run forever. They pick you up at your son's graduation. What was that like for him? Did he, did, has he ever told you that? I mean, we talked about, you know, as you get older and you start sharing things as adults now with your kids, has he ever told you like how, how that was for him? He was embarrassed because when he went back to school the next year, the kids was, you know, saying your mom's in jail. Wow. So they was teasing him. So he ended up going to a different school because he, he didn't, um, he was embarrassed. Right. You know, because his t- uh, classmates seen his mom get arrested. Wow. And so, so he went, when he went to the new school, he wouldn't tell nobody that I was in jail. And so he ended up moving. Um, my, my mother ended up moving to um, Diamond Bar. Okay. And so he was the only black kid in the community there. And he met a, another white kid. And the white kid father was in jail. Oh, wow. And they, yeah. Wow. And so one day when I called home from jail, from jail, he said, Mom, he told me that his friend father was in jail. And he, he said, I told him that you was in jail. And that was the first time my son had opened up to tell somebody that his mom was in jail. Because he just told them I was out of town. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, so the, I, I believe like the Lord had a little play in that. You know, at least to give your son some comfort, send him a friend to say, hey, you know, we, we, we're we in this together. Basically, my dad's in jail. Your mother's in jail. I know how it feels. You know how I feel. I mean, that was kind of a, a godsend at that time. Yes, it was. Wow. So so you get sentenced. Uh, and uh, how is it like going to prison? You know, was that your first time? That was my first time. I mean... Here's a here's a a woman that she she knows the streets, but the the prison life is a whole different different game, right? A whole nother world. How do you survive in there for tw- for twelve years? The grace of God is you that know, I, is that where you found God? That's where I got in relationship with God. Ah. See, I got knew God all my life. Good point. Good point. That's but where you had I, the encounter. Yeah, that's when I had the encounter and my relationship began in jail. Because I went to church all my life. Even when I was selling drugs, I went to church. Mm. But I didn't have a relationship with God. Big difference. So I started reading my Bible and praying and talking to God while I was in there. And so I would hear God talk back to me. But I didn't understand what it was because I was a baby in Christ. So I would listen to Charles Stanley and Chuck Colson and Tony Evans. Because my radio only got certain stations. I love Tony. Yeah. 
So I never even heard of a, I never even heard of Charles Stanley. I'm like, who's this white pastor? <laughs> but he actually broke it down to me, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. So I understood that once I gave my life to Christ, that he lives in my heart. The Holy Spirit is in me. The church is in me, you right. know? So no matter where you at, in jail, out of jail, at home, whatever, wherever, the church is you. So I just started studying and um, and um, researching, you know, the Bible and learning scriptures and learning the books of the Bible. And whenever they had um, Bible contests, I would get in them because... I wouldn't I wouldn't read nothing but the Bible. I read the Bible for 12 years. Every year I would read it through and do my devotions and everything. So I ended up preaching. I started preaching in jail and teaching Bible study and laying hands on people to be filled with the Holy Spirit wow. and prophesying and, and giving words to the Lord. Like people go to jail. Like when I was in the holding cell, I would pray for the person. They say, pray for me, Miss Thompson, pray for me. And God would tell me, you're going home. Wow. So the jail would see that, that different things that God would tell me because they listen in on the cell. And so certain people would go home through the word of God. But I'm like, if you don't go home and do what you say, you'll be back. Yeah, right. They came right back. Got, got, got acquitted. Did, did, <laughs> did you, when you first gave your life to God fully serving him, in jail, did did your friends and did your family did did they believe you, or they just thought it was like this no. jailhouse confession, you know, like a, like nobody. A, yeah, because you were just like running the streets, and and now you're just I'm serving the Lord. Yeah, nobody believed me, you know, because I my best friend was married to a preacher, and um, he said, yeah, she's doing that in jail, but let's see what she do when she come home. So that same preacher, when I got home, I spoke at his church for the very first time and the church was on fire. <laughs> and so all he can do is just sit. He was on the pulpit just was like, wow. Because people was like speaking in tongues, running around the church, and they never done that. Wow. I mean, sometimes, so, we, know, sometimes we forget the who who God really is, right? I mean, we we read the stories in the Bible, uh, uh, and and sometimes we don't equate those stories to 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 a person such as yourself. I mean, I always tell people, look at Paul. You know, you can't get any more ruthless than that. Persecuted the church, yeah. and and yeah. and God made him like. I mean, he he's like the probably the second most important guy in the Bible. You know, and yeah. and I. I say we sometimes forget that God could save somebody. My my cousin who is uh, lost for many years, his my uncle was a preacher and uh, passed away last year. And my cousin was 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 lost. I mean, you know, just just messed up and 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 totally rebelled against that. And uh, he gave his life to the Lord. Got baptized like two weeks ago, and uh, by the power of God. And it was a reminder to, to myself, just like. God can still do it. He still oh, yes. does it. Have faith. Keep praying for those people because it can they can be changed. Definitely, because when when if I look back over my life, I was a backslider. I was bitter. I was angry. I was a liar. Liar. I was a cheater. I was a manipulator. I was controlling. I was a drug dealer. I was a thief. 
I was all of that. But now God replaced that with the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Right. So powerful. So you get out and you start a ministry. Can you tell us a little bit about your ministry that you started? When I was in jail, I started um, writing to women that was incarcerated. So the women would, that would come and then I would go because I was kind of moved around at different facilities at one time. So I would write to those women and I would continue to write them, encourage them, because some of those women were I was teaching them Bible study and the word of God and ministering to them because they would come. Some of them came in with two or three years and would go home. But um, and I had more time and they were weaker than me. But I, I feel that those 18 years of isolation, that I got to know God and to know who I am. So um, when I came home from prison in 2005, I told my sister-in-law that uh, she said, what do you want to do? Because nobody would hire me. To this day, nobody would have hired me. True. So God said, remember, I told you, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all my righteousness will be added unto you. Mm-hmm. So that's how I live from day to day. Wow. On faith. God, faith. Faith. <sighs> so, um, I mean, we're, we're, we're approaching 18 years that you've been out of prison. And yeah. no, 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 no. 2005. It'll be 16. 16 years. All right. 16 years out of out of prison and 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 you relied on faith. You know, oh, yes. You you started the ministry of writing letters to women in prison. Why is while that, in prison. While you were in prison, you kept you kept in contact. Most people get out and forget about those women. Right? Mm-hmm. You re- still remember those women? I saw on your webpage you you have a whole uh uh, uh part of your page that's dedicated to that ministry of writing to women in prison. Why is that important for my audience? Explain that. It's important to know that we make mistakes, but God forgives. And it's a lot of women, mothers, daughters that's in jail, and they are forgotten about. So when I was the only one sitting in the visiting room, I would always, you know, like, where's... Nobody else is there. That's what made me start writing to women. Right, because if if you don't if you're sitting in prison and you don't have no hope mm-hmm. and you're thinking if I get out there's there's nothing for me anyways, mm-hmm. you I might as well stay. Right? I might as well just are, are violate again so I can get sent back. And that, that's what a lot of people probably do. This the, the, <laughs> the cycle just continues of, of these people and they just end up saying in prison. Yes. Wow. But for 26 years, I've been writing to women that's incarcerated. With, you know, uh, my husband is the one that funded my ministry from the beginning. Champ. And um, I would write women. And at first I was writing men and women, but God told me stop writing men, just women, focus on the women. Because <laughs> I know what it is not to have a visit or not to get a letter. And so um, I always, whenever I do an interview, I always say, please, um, even if you don't want to write to women in jail, send me their information. I write to your mother or Mm -hmm. your sister 
or your niece because it's important that they know that somebody's praying for them and love them. Right. I think uh, we forget about that. We forget about the people in prison. As believers, we kind of just go, well, you know, they, they, they did something wrong. They're in there. Eventually they'll get out. But there there is a lot of time in prison where you just think I've written to friends' sons. You know, I've written to my friends in there. You know, I've visited my friends that are, that have been <laughs> incarcerated. And uh, it, it is a, a lonely and sad uh, uh, thing because everybody kind of just leaves you. You're just there, yeah. you know. Yeah. and. You know, it's it's kind of hard. I, I've talked to plenty of people um, that that have family members that have been incarcerated. It's 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 a, it's a lot of trauma there. Right. So I would send them my book, send them Bibles, and I started Second Chance Evangelist Ministries. And um, my sister in law set up me a web page and everything, and that that's my um, life writing to women in prison. I've been doing it, like I said, twenty six years. Um, through donations, you know, to my ministry. Because a lot of times, you know, like everybody wants you to do everything for free. Yeah. But this is my life. Right. You know, I have to buy those stamps. I have to buy those papers. I have to buy the ink for the printing. And um, and these women are being fed because their own family's not writing them. So what um, a lot of the women, what I like, when they get out, they contact me. Some of this one girl was looking at this one girl had three life sentences. I wrote her every month for 11 years. Wow. Wow. Got out, and I got another girl that I'm writing. She's on a life sentence in um, Chachilla. And so the one that got out, um, Obama pardoned her. And she told me, she said, if it wasn't for your letters, I don't think I would have made it. Cause she would write me letters and say, everybody's going home. Cause I, this girl, I met her in prison. And then I started writing her when I came home and she said, I'm the only one that did not forget about her. Even her closest friends forgot about her. And we, we wasn't friends. We fell out in prison, (laughs) but God said, write her. And to this now today we're good friends. And now she travels and she go and speak and rally for women that's in in prison. Wow. What, what, and she didn't, think, she didn't think she would be doing that, but she's doing it. So what you did reached this woman, and now she's going about and reaching other women. She's traveling. She's getting paid now to travel and minister yeah. and rally for women. She goes to Washington. <laughs> so She met Obama. She, you know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, her. I'm sure – uh, when you get to heaven, you'll have the little jewel on your crown, and they're going to say, who's that? And that's going to be, you know, that's my friend. You know, let me tell you a little story about that one. It's it's a great testimony. Yeah. Where is Jamaica at now? I mean, tell us a little bit about your husband, Champ. I know he's a part of your ministry, uh, supports you. Uh, tell, us, tell us where you're at now. Champ is my biggest encourager. Because as we were talking before the podcast came, came on, I'm like, champ, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, I can talk to you and I'm like, wow, you know, I've been doing this for 26 years. It took me uh, five years to get a book deal because everything that's happening in my life, I wrote it down in prison and it's manifesting, but it's manifesting in God's timing, not my time. Right. I want it to happen right, right, right now. 
you know, because I'm like, God, I'm reading your word. I'm minister. I'm a servant of most high God. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I do it. You know, just use me, Lord. You know, I'm a servant. I'm a minister. It's, it's all glory to you. I take no glory because if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. So um, Champ wrote my book. He wrote every word in my book. Um, he prays for me. He was a Muslim uh, for 15 years. I led him to the Lord. And now he carries me in the spirit. And, um, and um, when I'm ministering and speaking, um, a lot of times people don't know him because Champ is like, a, he's, a, he's in the background. He's very quiet. He don't like being in the front. Let me he guess. Pushes- Champ's the strong, silent type. <laughs> he's definitely my soulmate and um a man of god and reads the word um ministered the word to me sometimes when i'm ministering to people i'm like where is that scripture and champ said well you preach it all the time and he'll tell me what the scripture is so he listens very attentively and he can tell he can dissect everything that i preach and with writing the book and even you know now we're working on doing the movie you know i just recently signed another movie deal this week congratulations so um be looking for a queen pin movie to come out you know um a lot of times i'm like god well when is my movie gonna come out you know because seemed like the enemy tried to block it Mm. but i know that i'm a conqueror i know that i'm an overcomer and i know that what god has for me and the plans that he had for me they will not they will accomplish what he please and it won't come back void right? because God has a plan for my story. And, and, and I know that if God can change me, he can change anyone because my whole life has changed. You know, Jesus is the lover of my soul. He's my life. Every day I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm a servant. What can I do for you today, Jesus? Cause it's not about me because right. I, I, I know that if he didn't die on the cross for my sins, and if I didn't say, Lord, choose me, and I want to serve you, and I want to be a vessel of God, I wouldn't be here. Right. You know, he's kept me in my right mind, and, and it's all about kingdom agenda for me. Winning a soul for Christ. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's, that's it. all. That's all it boils down to. Do you think... Because of everything you went through, because the grace that was on your life, that makes you who you are. Like you're, you're just so passionate and gone home. A, a, a person kind of that maybe had a good life or served God their whole life, they're kind of like a little bit not as passionate. But because of everything you've been through, because of the grace that's been bestowed upon your life, you're ultra passionate. L- like a Paul, you know, like Paul, I, I always say he was he was sold out. He was in, all in. Because of where he came from. I mean, and and is that kind of how you feel? I'm totally sold out for Jesus. It's no, if champ didn't serve Jesus, I have to. Mm. Because I made a promise that I serve him to the day I die. And I've seen, I've seen and heard testimonies where people said, made a vow to God and they died. So he's kept me in my right mind. He kept me in good health. So I'm very thankful and great and, and grateful that I am a remnant in this season. Amen. Amen. And for all, all to the glory of God. Yes, definitely. And to everybody out there, I know who your son is. 
But your son, I mean, he he's legit. I mean, he's he's a professional skater, which I'm not I'm not trying to say anything. There's not a lot of black professional skaters. There there is a lot more now. But when he started out, there wasn't that many. My son was the fourth black pro skateboarder in the world. Wow. World. You know, in the world. He's retired now, but um, he was one of the first black pro skaters in the world. Anthony Mosley. Yeah. And he didn't, I didn't even know he was a pro skateboarder. I see, I was in jail and watching TV and I love sports. I watch every sports and that's, um, and so I was watching ESPN and it came on Anthony Mosley and I was like, that's my son. <laughs> you know and what? That's, how- that's so awesome that you found out, you know, what's funny because, uh, um, I have a friend, uh, it was a professional skater on here. A couple of my friends skate. And then I had a, a, a friend named Richard Mulder, and he's uh, uh, he's retired now, but he's a professional skater. And uh, so I, I, I go, I wonder if Richard knows him. So I go to Richard. Yeah, I go to Richard's page. Sure enough, Richard's following him. They follow each other. And I was like, yeah, this guy's legit. I mean, this guy yeah. is the real yeah. deal. So yeah. what, a, what a great story. Um, I congratulate you on your movie deal. I hope it goes through. Uh, uh, the book, uh, your ministry, I, I think this is a – an amazing story uh of overcoming and that's that's the whole story of the of the street gospel podcast uh overcoming i mean the the story of coming up uh whether it's uh through adversity or knocking down barriers or of course with the lord uh that's that's the story of the podcast and uh i think you are uh, a, a testament to uh somebody that's overcame a lot and, and still has a lot to accomplish, which I think is, is amazing. I mean, there's still, you, you have a lot of goals left and I, I think uh, that's a testament to who you are and uh, the queen pin still with the queen pin. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. We do one more thing on the street gospel podcast and uh, it's called the, it's called the furious five, you know, and uh, we ask five furious questions to our guests and uh you know just a just a a quick uh answer but uh five questions just throw it out there so our audience get to know you a little bit better so question number one on the street gospel furious five your favorite music to listen to gospel gospel what about in the Queen Pin days? What was your favorite music to listen to in those days? Whitney Houston. <laughs> Whitney Houston. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. Number two on the Street Gospel Podcast, Furious Five. If you could change one decision in your life, what would it be? I wouldn't have sold drugs. No drugs. No drugs. No I wouldn't drugs. have sold drugs. You would have been in the Olympics, maybe. I would have been in an Olympic. Right? All right. Yes. No drugs. Question number three. Who is the person you most admire all time? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. I love I love Billy Graham. I mean, I think what I like most about Billy Graham is he was consistent. You know yes. what I mean? I mean, it was just like for all those years. <laughs> He taught hope. Same message. Yeah. There is hope. You know, and, and that's what I tell people. People will, will will clown some pastors, right? Because maybe they preach this, preach that, and, and they'll say, oh, it's the same sermon. 
I just think that people are called sometimes to preach the gospel message or preach, you know, salvation. I mean, it, it, it is the message. I, that's it. You know, so Billy Graham. Okay. It's a good one. I, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect <laughs> that. That was, that was good. <laughs> Question number four. If you could have one possession back from when you were the queen pin, just one, what would it be? My house. The house. Ooh. The house. It's got to be that. What was the it? House, the house in Encino. What was what was it like? It was it was like Scarface. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was in phony Montana. It was it was a real deal, huh? All right. Last question of the Furious Five, then I'll let you go. Thank you for your time again. Uh, does the Queen Pin still run track? I don't run track, but I do work out. Okay. Okay. I give you props because you look great. Thank you. you look Thank great. You. Hopefully, I- Champ don't come bust me up for saying that. But. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I don't Dave, ch- thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming out. Uh, you know, it was a great time. Uh, please check out Jamika Thompson Harrison's ministry. I mean, uh, her book's out. Uh, we'll, we'll put all the links up on the page when we release it. Uh, but check it all out. Uh, definitely something uh, you got to check out. And uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you, Dave. God bless and have a wonderful day. You too. Have a great Saturday. I'll see you. So be that God may give unto them my words that they may